Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. That's Psalms 55, verses 1 and 2. Listen to my prayer, God, and do not hide yourself from my pleading. Give your attention to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and severely distracted. May God bless the reading of his word. Eric, thank you so much for doing our, our reading. Just want to make sure you knew his name. So, so good. Well, Pastor Pete's on vacation, but he, he got up here to do the announcements for us, so it's nice to, to have him do that. And um, in case you didn't catch it, um, I'm overwhelmed because he named his son after me, his middle name, Pericles, Pericles, surrounded by glory, um, as you know, is a great Athenian statesman who led Greece to its golden age. So, what an honor. Well, this past Wednesday, an angry mom, mob stormed the nation's capitol building. First time that it's been besieged since 1814, during the War of 1812, when the British went into the capitol, and it was being built at that time, and they burned it. They also burned the White House, and that's, by the way, why the White House has been painted white, to cover up the smoke damage. This is an egregious act that is rightly being condemned by people both on the left and on the right, People who are conservative, people who are liberal, politicians, talk show hosts, and American citizens are condemning it for what it is. And what I find even more shocking is that some of the people that you see in the pictures who are claiming to be Christians, having things on their clothes that says, Jesus saves, having banners that says, Jesus is my savior, President Trump is my president, Trump is my president, waving a Christian flag. And those actions are a far cry from what Jesus has told us to do as Christians in a fallen world, that we are to be salt and we are to be light. And it's a far cry from the political activism that is commanded of us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, by the Apostle Paul, who lived under the Roman Empire under Nero, who was considered one of the worst, if not the worst, Roman emperors. And here's what he tells us to do as Christians in 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all, that's a matter of priority, in other words. Your priority is this, I urge, that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings. So whatever you want to call them, <laughs> these prayers, entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving, be made be on behalf of all men, all men, regardless of political party or bent or anything else, for kings and all who are in authority. And, of course, kings had absolute authority. Pray for them in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Dignity was lacking, godliness was lacking, quiet life and tranquil life were all lacking in what we saw on Wednesday. So I'd like to ask you to join me in a biblically sanctioned act of political activism to pray for our nation and ask the Lord's forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Merciful God, we ask your forgiveness corporately as a people, as a nation that has gone far from 
living and acting and believing the things that you want us to believe and acting the way you want us to act. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we pray on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our politicians, our government leaders, that you would silence those who would harm our nation and you would allow those who would help our nation to be the ones who lead and speak. We pray that you would continue to raise up people who would guide us in biblical morality, who would honor the creator of the universe, the supreme being, would honor you. We pray for our nation. We pray for tranquility. We pray for peace. We pray for us as believers to set the stage, to set the example, to be light, to draw people away from the darkness, to be salt, to bring preservation to a society that is corrupt. We pray, Lord, you help us to be kind, to be loving, to be gracious, to be forgiving and merciful, and to be careful what we tweet, what we text, what we email, what we say. That all those things might honor Jesus Christ and people might know that we are followers of the Christ and that we are indeed following him. Lord, as we look in your word today, we humbly ask for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher that we might learn more about who you are and how we can communicate better with you. May the Holy Spirit speak through me words that are true and that honor Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to start today with a definition. It's not in your outline, but you could go ahead and jot it down. It might be helpful, but it's on the screen behind me. It's a definition of conspiracy. And conspiracy is a secret plot or a secret plan. Secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. A secret plan by a group, so it's more than one at least, to do something unlawful or harmful. And conspiracies or conspiracy theories might make for good movie plots. I don't know if you remember the 1977, uh, 1997 movie, Conspiracy Theory, uh, starring Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts. And in that movie, Mel Gibson plays the role of a paranoid, deranged, excessive, compulsive New York taxi driver by the name of Jerry Fletcher, who publishes out, outlandish conspiracy theories and then sends them out to his subscribers. He has a total of five subscribers <laughs> that he sends them to. And his conspiracy theories include things about aliens and political assassinations, and one theory that NASA is going to try to kill the President of the United States because they've put a weapon up on the space shuttle that will cause an earthquake and kill the President of the United States. Well. Coincidentally, or oddly enough, one day, one of Jerry Fletcher's published conspiracy theories about the U.S. government turns out to be true. And that results in chases and captures and tortures. And if you want to know the rest of the movie, you'll have to go ahead and watch it. But you don't have to watch the movie with Mel Gibson to hear about conspiracy theories. You can just go online and Google something like QAnon or voter fraud, or coronavirus vaccines, and you'll see a plethora of conspiracies and conspiracy theories. Now, I think we can learn something from Mel Gibson's character, and he says this about conspiracies, and I'm quoting 
from the movie. A good conspiracy is unprovable. I mean, if you can prove it, it means they screwed up somewhere along the way. <laughs> now, lest you think I'm going to get political today and talk about subjects like voter fraud and vaccines, I'm not. There is a much more severe, a greater conspiracy that's going on, a much more significant and dangerous conspiracy that I want to talk about. There is a conspiracy afoot. And it's not just national, it's also global. And it's a conspiracy led by the conspirator of all conspirators, a conspiracy led by the deceiver of all deceivers, by the very father of lies himself, the devil. And the conspiracy I'm referring to is a conspiracy to keep you, to keep me from communicating with the very person who knows all the answers. The very person who knows all that is true and all that is false. The very person who knows how things will turn out or could have turned out for better or for worse, depending on our decisions. The very person who loves you and cares for you more than any other person who wants to help you. And that person is, of course, God. And in case you are unfamiliar with why we can call God a person, we talked about that in theology class last week. It doesn't mean he has a body. It means he has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotion. If you've ever, experiencing, ever experienced communicating with God to be something that was, I don't know, boring or perhaps ineffective, or maybe even you thought it was a waste of your time, then you have experienced first time, firsthand this conspiracy. And if you didn't recognize it as a conspiracy when you didn't want to pray, then in the words of the fictional character Jerry Fletcher, it's a really good conspiracy because you didn't recognize it. Today we're starting a new sermon series, and the series is entitled Prayer, Why Bother? Prayer, Why Bother? And if you ever felt that way, then you have been fooled by the conspiracy the devil has against you and against me. And today's message in this new series is entitled, The Conspiracy. The Conspiracy. Because the devil and his demons have gotten together with a secret plan to do something that's harmful to you. I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's fictionalized book, of behind-scenes conversations with demons called the Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis is that brilliant British writer and apologist, and in this fictionalized book, he has an uncle who's a demon named Screwtape writing to his young nephew who's a fledgling demon, and the nephew's name is Wormwood. Screwtape and Wormwood, uncle and nephew. Listen to you as I read just one of the letters that Uncle Screwtape writes to his neophyte nephew on the subject of prayer. He writes this, My dear Wormwood, the amateurist suggestions in your last letter warn me that it is high time for me to write to you fully on the painful subject of prayer. The best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient. Patient is the Christian that this demon is influencing, the best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient from the serious intention of prayer 
all together. That's a conspiracy. But of course, the enemy, the uncle writes, and the enemy is God in this case, but of course, the enemy will not meantime be idle. Wherever there is prayer, there is danger of the enemy's own immediate action. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. The devil and the demons don't want you to pray. And there's a conspiracy afoot to keep you from praying. I want us to think about two things as we approach this new series. And the first thing, number one, it's in your notes there, is to realize that prayer is your direct line to the supreme being. Prayer is your direct line to the supreme being. But the devil doesn't want you to think about that. The devil wants you to think that prayer is perhaps a boring religious ritual. Or maybe prayer is just something that grandmothers do because they have a lot of time on their hands. Some people see prayer as a talisman or a good luck charm. Doesn't matter who you pray to. You can pray to God or Brahma. Same difference. Some people view prayer as something that's expected from a good Christian and you're really meant to do it, but you just don't have time. You'll get to it later. These thoughts are all part of the satanic conspiracy to keep you from the most amazing opportunity you have to communicate through a direct line to the supreme being of the universe. I mean, think about it. With, with perhaps only one or two exceptions, and maybe no exceptions of people hearing my voice right now, none of us can pick up the phone and talk to the President of the United States of America. You can't even reach the third richest person in the world, Bill Gates. He used to be first, now he's third, if you're keeping track. You can't reach the second richest person in the world if you pick him on the phone, which is Jeff Bezos now. And certainly you can't reach the richest person in the world, as of I think this week or so, which is, you know, Elon Musk. Elon Musk has pretty close to $200 billion dollars. He made more money in the last 12 months than Bill Gates has. And if you want to congratulate him, I don't think you'll reach him on the phone. In fact, I bet you can't even get Kim Kardashian, Kardashian on the phone. And she's famous for what? For being famous. And yet, at any moment of the day or night, whether you have good news or bad news, whether you are in a good mood or a foul mood, whether you have rehearsed your words or just ramble, the supreme being of the universe wants to listen to you. Let's look again at Psalm 55 that was read earlier. Psalm 55, 1 and 2. This is one of David's prayers, and notice how boldly he prays to the supreme brain of the universe. Give ear to my prayer, O God. <laughs> wow. No, excuse me, uh, pardon me, <laughs> are you busy? Uh, can you help me? Um, I'm so sorry, I know, you know. No, just give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide thyself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. Why? Because I'm restless in my complaint. 
and I'm surely distracted. Wow. And the supreme being wants to hear exactly how he feels and what he's going through. And although this truth about prayer is incredible and unbelievable, we demonstrate by our actions, or perhaps our lack of actions, that what we say we believe, we don't really believe. And that's a sure sign of the effectiveness of this conspiracy campaign to shut down all communication between us and the supreme being of the universe. Someone has said, if you want to make a Christian feel guilty, just ask them about their prayer life. Well, yes, you could always pray better. You could do everything better. That's what heaven's about. Everything's better. <laughs> I'm not here to make you feel guilty about prayer. You can do that on your own. You don't need my help. <laughs> I'm here to bless you with the most amazing truth that the supreme being of the universe is on the line right now waiting for you to pick up, to pray, to talk to him, and to listen to him. And if you've ever found yourself discouraged about prayer because, quite frankly, it doesn't seem to make any difference, or because you didn't get what you asked for, or because you don't know how to pray, and even if you feel like your prayer life is an example and a model for all other Christians, I think the series that we're starting will speak to you. And it starts with this most amazing and most incredible and most unbelievable truth that prayer is your direct line to the supreme being of the universe. And I think we need to understand that. We need to believe it. We need to take hold of it. I don't know if you're aware, but there's only one recorded account in all of the New Testament where the disciples came to Jesus asking him to teach them something. If you're going to go to Jesus and you could ask him one thing, to teach you, what would you ask him? Calm a storm? Walk on water? Maybe miraculous healing? You have a loved one that needs healing? You'd like to be able to do that? Or maybe you'd like to be able to call down fire from heaven because you have some people that you don't get along with and you'd just like to be able to go, whoo, you know, crispy critter, holy smoke, you know, just call down fire. Or maybe you'd like to uh, be able to raise the dead. I mean, all that's really cool stuff. And the disciples got to see Jesus do amazing things. But in the one recorded account of one of Jesus' disciples coming to him and asking him to teach them a specific thing, the disciple, astonishingly, what he asked was, teach us to pray. We see this in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One of Jesus' disciples comes, but he's speaking for all the disciples. And in chapter 11, verse 1 of Luke, it says, And it came about that while Jesus was praying, notice he was praying, that's what he was doing. They were witnessing this in a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, us, just as John also taught his disciples. Why would he ask this? Why prayer? Well, the passage doesn't tell us. It gives us maybe a couple hints. One thing we see here is that John taught his disciples to pray, and it was the custom of a rabbi, the Jewish custom of a rabbi, to teach his disciples a specific prayer that they would pray over and over again. 
And apparently John did that with his disciples. He gave them a prayer. So it could be that this disciple is saying, you have not given us yet that prayer that we recite over and over, so teach us to pray, which Jesus will do. In the following verses, you'll see what we call the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's the disciples' prayer. It was for them. But I would suggest there's more to it than this. They have just witnessed Jesus praying. In fact, throughout his ministry, they have witnessed Jesus praying again and again and again. And I would suggest what they have seen is that prayer is Jesus' direct line to the supreme being, but more than that, it is his lifeline that he couldn't do what he needed to do without prayer. Think about it. We have in Luke 6 that Jesus spends all night in prayer, all night in prayer before he selects his 12 disciples. We have in John 17, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And who's he praying for? He's praying for you. And he's praying for his disciples who were alive at that time that they would spread the gospel and that they would do it in unity. And that the one thing that people would notice about them is they have unity. And so he's praying about that. If you think about it, he was praying for the unity that we need right now at this time. And prayer is what Jesus did when he faced the greatest trial of his life, when he's going to be betrayed and tortured and crucified. We're told in Luke chapter 22 that he prayed because prayer was Jesus' lifeline. And I would suggest that you and I need to make it our lifeline as well. Which brings us to a second thing about prayer this morning, and that's this. Prayer is your ultimate lifeline. Prayer is your ultimate lifeline. It's a place to go during the best of times, but also the place to go during the darkest of times. When you cry out, I don't know what to do, or what are we going to do, or look at the world, what's going to happen? I would suggest you pray. Because the supreme being of the universe knows what's going to happen. And your prayers can make a difference in what happens. Turn to Luke chapter 22, where Jesus calls his disciples to pray. It's going to be the greatest challenge of their life and of Jesus' life. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gathers disciples and he said, we need to pray. And the disciples fall asleep. And Jesus sweats drops of blood as he prays. Luke 22, verse 39, and Jesus came and proceeded as was his custom. So notice it is his custom to go there to pray. The disciples knew that. Jesus came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The greatest temptation of their life was about to come. And the way to handle it was prayer, and they failed. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but thine be done. And as you read that, you realize that Jesus did not want to go through this suffering, but he was willing to follow the Father's will and go through it. Now an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus, strengthening him, 
And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Prayer was Jesus' lifeline. It's where he went when there was nobody else there. His disciples failed him, but God wouldn't. So he turned to God. And God answered Jesus' prayer, but not the way Jesus wanted it answered. And God answered that prayer by strengthening Jesus to get through the trial. He did not remove the trial. And we'll be talking more about that in sermons to come, about how God answers your prayer. I say this cautiously and reverentially, but the truth this passage teaches us is that without prayer as his lifeline, Jesus would not have been able to fulfill his calling. He needed to pray and have God strengthen him to fulfill the calling that he had been called to. And if Jesus can't live the Christ-like life without prayer, how could you? How could me? Prayer is your ultimate lifeline. And when it's hardest to pray, as demonstrated by the disciples falling asleep and Jesus sweating drops of blood, when it's hardest to pray, that's when prayer is most needed and perhaps most effective. Jesus prayed and was strengthened for the trial. Peter fell asleep and failed the trial and denied Jesus Christ three times. Is it any wonder that there's a conspiracy to keep you from praying? As we begin this series, I want you to remember these two things. That prayer is a direct line to God, and it's your ultimate lifeline. When I was a chaplain in the U.S. Navy, I was assigned to be the chaplain aboard the USS Gridley, which is a guided missile cruiser. It's been since decommissioned. And one of the necessary events that would happen when you're at sea is you have to be refueled. And we were on a seven-month Westpac, most of it in the Indian Ocean, and there are no gas stations out there. So what you use for a gas station is they bring a refueling ship, a tanker ship, and it pulls up alongside of your ship. It's called the UNREP, or Underway Replenishment, and that ship passes huge fuel lines over your ship, and you're connected ship to ship, parallel to each other, with these fuel lines. And they pump the diesel over into our, our ship. I'd like to show you a picture of what it might look like. It's a very necessary operation, but it's extremely dangerous operation. And in that picture, the seas are not particularly rough, even though it looks rough between the ships, because that's what's happened when they're steaming parallel to each other. Well, on one particular occasion, when we're having one of these underway replenishments, the two ships side by side, one of the sailors who was helping on the tanker side got caught on some kind of line or something and got knocked overboard in between the two ships into that raging river between two ships with the possibility of either drowning or being sliced and diced by the propellers of one of the ships. Well, an emergency breakaway was called. Hoses were unhooked. The ships immediately parted from each other, and a search was made for the sailor. Well, he had a life jacket on, and they were able to spot him, and thankfully he was unhurt. 
But can you believe it? They threw a lifeline to him, and he refused it. Not. Of course he didn't. He grabbed it and was pulled into his ship. And prayer is your lifeline. It's my lifeline. And we need to grab it and take hold of it, especially in the worst of circumstances. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, even if you're watching online, I'd like to have you join us in prayer. In order to communicate effectively with the supreme being of the universe, you need to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus Christ is the one who opens up the way for us to have access to God the Father. If you're listening and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you recognize that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave and he conquered death, and if it's your desire to have your sins forgiven, to be granted eternal life, to have the best life possible now, to be filled with God, then I urge you right now to cry out to Jesus in a prayer something like this, Lord Jesus, I believe. Please save me. And you will. Lord, as we continue to pray, we, we thank you for the truth of your word, that we can trust it implicitly. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit and to pray in the Spirit at all times, as your scripture says that we might not just hear from you, not just speak to you, but also have a better relationship with you because we're in communication. Lord, bless each one here. Bless their homes, I pray. Bless those listening online as well and their families. And we pray all these things in Jesus' marvelous name. Amen.